So I'm not a Microsoft user. That's all right. I'm not a gamer I, either. And I'm not a gamer. Well, get Listen, the hell out of here. What the hell are you doing here? So I'm going to be. No, it's fine. No, you're good. Oh, so you're, 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 you play the part of the normie. You ask all the normie questions. Okay, so for those of us who are having sex in college, hey, school, whoa, not <laughs> playing in the basement with our oh, well, wait in know, college. How do you know oh, I'm sorry. not having sex in college and sorry. High school. Uh, well, it's that, not, okay, that well, Hello, Tara. Sorry. <laughs> is she here? Yes. She oh, just... I missed that. Yeah. Well. <laughs> oh, she's gone. Look at that. <laughs> Don't blame her. <laughs> Welcome to Steve's basement. Uh, it's just got no audio connected right now. So oh, phew. Phew. Recording in progress. Welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Hey, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability he's, community. He's still going. Can somebody shut that off? And who's. Maybe with man, a you guys fist. are just. You're, you're, full of, you're full of energy today. I think it didn't these, sound like I nice striked weather. it. Didn't sound like it striked it properly the first time. So it, yeah. it came through thrice. All right. You struck it and you struck it good, kid. <laughs> screwed up my intro completely. Hey, my name is Rob Minot. And joining me today, Mr. Cowbell himself, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello. Uh, we've also got Miss Liz Malone. Hey there. And Mr. Steve Barkley. Still happy to be included. <laughs> You're always included. Uh, how's everybody? Just Jim Dandy. Hey, so I've been thinking about something for a week, and uh, I want to discuss this really quickly with you before we start the show. Because uh, I've been thinking about this since Jesse, our guest from last week, brought this up about Ryan's hit song, Glitter and Spangles. Mm. And that's Chart topper. We don't. We does anybody know what a spangle is? No one knew last week. I still yes, don't I, know. I did know last week, but you guys were talking over top of me. Oh, so really? I okay. Just well, let it go. No. Okay. Well, tell us. So, what is a spangle? It's a glittery, shiny thing attached to clothing. Really? Yeah. Well, wait. So how? So what's the deal then with uh, the Star Spangled Banner? Uh, because the banner was spangled with stars, which are glittery. Oh, all right. Well, I and that's been your that. educational moment from AT Banter. That's pretty good. So, I good. I, I, where did we pull that out of our butts? It was a comment Liz had made on a show a year ago. And about a spangle, right? About spangle or uh, glitter and spangles. And so, I don't know if she challenged me or I challenged myself. I put my foot in my mouth and said I could write a song called Glitter and Spangles. So it took I a year. It, but I think we were having one of our rhyming moments where we were just <laughs> rhyming like the bangles and the spangles. And, oh, maybe that's what and it was. I, yeah, you know, it always starts with music and us getting stupid and yep. playing our little idiotic rhyming games. And right. I, I, I feel like it stemmed from a music trivia 
Hmm. nonsense kind of thing but it led to an amazing song so it's true so you know there are stupidity does have its silver lining yeah indeed yeah exactly so whitecanerecords.com go check it out that that deserves a cowbell does it all right where is it there it is okay well done um all right well uh any other housekeeping things before we get started anyone else have anything they want to bring up I just want to say, my Devils made it to the playoffs. Oh, no. oh they're, they're, they're locked in, are they? Good for them. Yes. So when are the playoffs? When's lock hockey over? November. <laughs> November? And then it starts again. Well, no, unless, you're, <laughs> unless you're a Canuck, in which case it's 10 how games. Can, how can that be possible? It's, <laughs> it's April. How can it be playoffs and it doesn't end until November? You're pulling my leg, right? Oh He's pulling your leg, indeed. <laughs> okay, well, when, so could, could somebody answer me? This is a legitimate question. When, when are playoffs? Is it in the summer? It'll, it'll go into summer, yeah. Wow, huh. And the, the Devils fi- the made fi- it, huh? The finals will be, what, uh, June, I think. So where, what's the deal with the Canucks? Are they in the playoffs? Oh, yeah, hell no. Okay, well, anyway, I just thought I would check. One, one year, maybe they will be. They're playing mm-hmm. the best hockey that they have played the entire year, and they're doing it entirely too late. Mm-hmm. You'll know they make the playoffs when we have another riot. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I need a PS5. <laughs> Ouch. Just kidding. I was kidding. That's a joke. Hey, Rob. That was a segue t- of a joke. That, with, the, with the way it's trending right now, the, by the time the Canucks make the playoffs, it'll be PS 17. <laughs> That's true. All right. On that note, uh, hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Uh, what the heck are we doing today? Today, we are speaking with Tara Velker, who is with Microsoft Xbox Studios Accessibility. Welcome, Tara. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and chat today. Thanks for putting up with our crap. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love it. Most guests yeah. might have bailed by now. I mean, you guys have just had me rolling, even though like prep oh, for getting this recording. So like, why would I not love to be here? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the deal is. I think we. I think it's the nice weather here here in Vancouver. So we're all giddy. Yeah, we suddenly got vitamin D, and we're just busted out all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can relate. We're we're definitely in the same band of first sun down in the Seattle area. So oh yeah, well, of course yeah, we share we share a weather system for sure. <laughs> so probably uh, got probably got coders frolicking all over the Microsoft campus. <laughs> Let's not go too far. We don't let them out that often. <laughs> That's right. Well, listen. Uh, despite all our Mac talk and PS4 talk, which was actually a, a joke. Uh, we are thrilled to have you. Uh, we have been really super interested in uh, gaming and accessibility for a while now. And so we haven't, this is kind of the first opportunity that we've really had to talk to somebody who's really kind of in that space and um, is, is a real passionate advocate. So before we really dive deep into it, maybe you can just kind of give us a little bit of background on you and sort of how you sort of found your place as, at um, Microsoft and as sort of a, a, you know, a gaming accessibility advocate. Yeah, so at Xbox Game Studios, I'm the accessibility lead, which translates into I work with each and every one of our studios and both educate the devs on how to do things accessibly, help them set their goals, help them reach their goals, and really trying to create these 
you know, products that are intentionally inclusive of gamers with disabilities. And I got into the role because I'm someone who's been in game development for a very long time and always done accessibility. So for years and years and years, there were not accessibility jobs in gaming. And it meant that you were a game dev who just tried to shove accessibility work into your job. And I was a dev that had been doing that and was very loud about doing it. Um, and even before I came to Xbox, like I'm the co-founder of the Game Accessibility Conference, along with my great pal, Ian Hamilton. And so I was screaming about how to make accessible games since before I was at Xbox. And so once I got in Xbox, it just obviously seems like a natural move to kind of put me in a position uh, where I got to scream uh, directly at the people who needed to do the work, as it were. So maybe you can sort of give us a little bit of, a, of an idea of what what kind of things we're talking about when we talk about putting accessibility features into video games? So when you're making a video game, there are a lot of things that you can do that can unintentionally stop someone from being able to play your game. So for example, for some people having to use a normal controller can be really hard. They don't have the mobility in your hands that, you know, the original people designing the controller assumed people would have, right? And so you have to figure out, okay, so if they can't use the controller, what can we do? Oh, well, let's figure out how to allow them to remap the buttons so that they can get around that issue to be able to play. So that's kind of an example of added on accessibility, but a lot of the work is figuring out how you can make the core design more accessible and figuring out how you can not potentially create those barriers in the first place. So the most basic example is normally around like colorblindness. So if you have a user interface that's telling you what's going on in the game and you indicate things by color alone, well, now it's not colorblind friendly. Someone who's colorblind can't tell what's happening. So you have to add a colorblind mode. But if you think about designing accessibly, you can make something that's colorblind friendly from the very, very beginning and not have to add accessibility features on at the end. Um, and it really is a space that covers a, a whole bunch of different areas. And it's it's something that is a, a really fun design challenge. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, I, I and Steve and I are both kind of pretty big gamers. Um, you know, it has been a very interesting journey because I remember even six, seven years ago, there wasn't even such a thing as an accessibility menu in a lot of games. Like it just, it wasn't, it really wasn't a thing. And now it's pretty common. Like anything that anything new that's come out in the past few years, um, you'll always see some sort of accessibility options. And whether that's um, things like auto aim or, um, you know, turning off quick time events for certain games, or like you said, being able to re remap the entire controller. Has that sort of been your experience where you're really seeing a little bit of a, a renaissance going on in, in the past few years? Oh, definitely. So if you go back to when I first started working in accessibility and video games, which was almost 15 years ago now, people just did, literally did not know anything about it. It was a foreign concept to them unless they had a very close friend or family member who had been impacted. And you know, years later, I remember, I don't remember what game it was, but they added a colorblind mode and it was like, newsworthy people were like wow look at the amount of work that they've done and now as uh, as an industry if you 
aren't colorblind friendly and you don't have a colorblind mode like you will get dinged people will be like what the hell why didn't they do this and it it's again completely mind-boggling and you see it reflected in the studios themselves because like i said for years there weren't even accessibility jobs and now there are companies who are hiring full-time accessibility people uh, even just last week i saw that blizzard put up a full-time uh, accessibility designer position. And obviously that shows an investment that, again, just like you said, a couple of years ago was unheard of. So what do you sort of credit to that? I credit a few things. Um, so I think first is there were definitely a, a group of people who had been beating the drum about accessibility long-term. But I do think that one of the big things was actually the rise of social media and content creation, it gave a way for disabled gamers to be able to show the barriers that they were hitting and get that information directly to the devs. And um, before, for a very, very long time, you know, game developers were so separated very intentionally from players that hearing, oh, I can't play for this reason or that reason would never reach the dev team. But now because of social media, we're able to have those conversations. And I think something else that uh, was very interesting was the introduction of the CVAA, the Digital Communications Act, that actually kind of caught multiplayer games with text chat uh, in what was covered. And so it kind of forced some game devs around the same time to actually be like, oh, hey, what is this accessibility thing? And once devs started learning about accessibility, once they started seeing the videos from gamers with disabilities or reading their tweets about the struggles they were having, they wanted to act, right? Like the whole point of being a game dev is you want people to play your game. And so when people can reach out to you and say, hey, I can't play your game, you want to fix that. So Tara, you, you mentioned the uh, the CVAA and its impact in terms of the game development. And um, so the CVAA, if I'm not mistaken, came to being during the Obama administration. So that, that's been quite some time. So did it take some time for the industry to actually start to catch up and say, hey, there is this other um, it, um, legislation that we're supposed to be following? Yes, there was definitely a little bit of lag in video games. Basically, what happened was the tech to make accessible video games didn't exist. So, for example, when the CVA was first signed, there wasn't a screen reader on any of the consoles. You know, PlayStation didn't have one, Xbox didn't have one. And so, you know, trying to figure out like, oh, how would you do something like menu narration? literally wasn't possible. And so there were a series of waivers that were in place to basically help video games uh, get their act together and start building the things that they needed. And then compliance hit for video games in 2019, which is why, again, post-2019, you really start seeing the ramp up because they actually had to start meeting this legislation. It sounds like it was sort of a combination of customer-driven um, input um, along with legislation, if I'm sort of understanding it correctly. Yes, it was definitely a one-two punch of actual user needs and legislation really bubbling up at the same time. How much of, of accessibility in gaming these days is sort of this idea of sort of like tacked on accessibility as opposed to like trying to roll accessibility 
into the, the, the mechanics of the game itself. Is that sort of still a little bit of a struggle? I think as an industry, we're really at a turning point to be able to include accessibility in the core design instead of tacking it on. I think that the game industry has spent the past few years learning about accessibility and it's really been, um, you know, there was even a talk at uh, GDC this year by uh, a Darren uh, Thompson on like this very topic of how as designers, we need to get better at having it in the, the base design instead of added on. So I don't want to quite say it's a problem so much as we are we are maturing and getting better at accessibility. And I think you'll really start to see that more and more over the next few years. It's it's really it's interesting because in game development, you know, games take multiple years to make. And so even though we're talking about these lessons externally now, you be, you may not actually see them in the games or the products until a couple of years later. Because if I say this today and the game I work on doesn't come out for two years, then you won't actually see the fruits of the things that I'm talking about until two years later. I was super impressed uh, the first time that I saw the, well, I'm still super impressed with it, but uh, the first time I saw the Xbox controller that had a switch for every single input, that was um, such an enabling device that Microsoft created there. And I don't think you necessarily uh, even envisioned how third parties would leverage that device because it's, it, it's a device that is produced on a much larger scale than most assistive technology companies can, can do it. Uh, it's incredibly useful and it ties into other devices really, really well. Um, there's a small developer here in Vancouver who's um, tying that through, uh, what, it, what do they call it? Uh, IIHF, uh, if then, no, IIT. If then, then that, it's an internet protocol for controlling smart devices at any rate, I'll, I'll come up with eventually. But, um, but they're using that controller uh, as kind of the hub for that to control smart devices around the, the home. And it's, it's way cheaper than dedicated environmental controls that do pretty much precisely the same thing. It was a, a very empowering little device. We've definitely seen some really creative and cool uses that are completely outside of the accessibility space. Even there was one concert that one of my coworkers was telling me about where they basically used the adaptive controller to power this like giant joystick thing for the concert. And you, know, you can do so much stuff with it because, you know, like you said, under the hood, it's so easy to connect things to it and connect it to everything else because it's, you know, the same 3.5 millimeter jacks that everything uses that you can connect to. Yeah, it was very, very elegant product uh, and hit the market at a great time too. Uh, it's, it's interesting to see how people did use it. Yeah, well, <clears throat> you know, and if you think about it, a lot of these video game consoles, I mean, they're, the, the recipe is so right for accessibility. I mean, controllers have haptics these days. Um, there's all kinds of elements that, that are in there that the developers could really lean into and really use in, in sort of innovative and unique ways to really build accessibility into a lot of the games. But, you know, I, I can totally understand that it's also not as easy as it sounds. I mean, developing a game is 
pretty hard, I'm assuming. I mean, I don't know anything about it, but I'm assuming it's probably pretty hard. You can probably speak to more, the, more to that, Tara. But, I mean, developing the, the game just, just as a game and all the mechanics and the graphics and everything is probably hard enough to, to then also try to juggle accessibility and, and how somebody with limited mobility or somebody without sight, how they're going to interface with the game i mean it it does have to really be a challenge it definitely can be it's one of those things that you have to be conscious and plan for it because if you don't you'll end up at the end of development and be like oh crap we've messed up and then trying to rush to fix it but it is difficult for a lot of reasons in that not how to phrase this so for example, we use different engines for our video games, like there's Unreal and Unity and even some custom engines we use in-house and not all of them have the same tools for building accessibility. So some things are harder in some engines than others, but it also means that a lot of it we can't share between our studios. So some studios can share because they're using similar tech, but some of them are using completely different ones, which means that they have to completely build it themselves. And then some of the tools to create basic experiences are also completely different per platform. So like how you get narration to work on the Xbox versus the PlayStation versus your iPhone versus Android, they're all completely different systems. And so it does mean that you're kind of doing a lot of bespoke work to try to make these systems. And again, like they can't always be shared between studios. And so that's when you get these like radically different levels of accessibility between games that are made by the same publisher. And, and this is not just like an Xbox game studio thing. This is something that all of the major publishers, we all we all struggle with because yeah, it's very, very hard to make games. And you know, some games are just kind of held together with duct tapes and hope. And so then you're you're adding a little accessibility and hoping it all it all stays together. So is there kind of like a, a best practice in terms of where where you sort of put in that accessibility development in the entire development process like is it sort of just a, a general rule of thumb that look you know you need to start you need to be thinking about accessibility you know at you know when you're mapping out a, a game on graph paper um that's when you should be thinking about it not you know when it's three quarters of the way done like how and is is there a standard sort of best practice when you're talking to developers yeah, so one of the things we always tell our developers is you do need to start early. And some of them, like designing your UI and making sure that like the font size is legible and that you have good contrast. Like, yes, we absolutely start at like the earliest designs possible because the goal is to um, make sure that we've made accessible decisions before they actually even start coding the UI. But there are some other things that you have to keep in mind, but it's more nebulous, like the gameplay itself. You have to both think of the gameplay and accessibility at the same, the same time, and those are harder to have very specific guidelines for. That being said, there are best practices that we have with our devs, but how we apply them varies per studio. So for example, we can have a studio that only has 30 people working on a game. And what we may work with them to do will be very different than another studio that maybe has 300 people 
working on a game. So we kind of offer a prioritization framework, but like available, you know, right now online is the, the Xbox accessibility guidelines, which is, you know, if, if you are looking to create like a best in class experience in accessibility, that is where you, you look. And really what we do with our devs is kind of look at where they are, the tech they have, how much time we have left and figure out, okay, where, what should we prioritize out of, out of that list so our devs can get the, the biggest bang for their buck. I was also really impressed when um, I was uh, doing some uh, background for this, uh, this episode to find that um, on the Microsoft Learning site, there's an entire piece of coursework on gaming accessibility fundamentals. There's like three hours and 49 minutes worth of, uh, of education available there for it. Yes, that is the award-winning uh, accessibility fundamentals uh, for gaming training course. I actually, uh, so that won an award for the, from the game accessibility conference. I actually physically have the trophy with me right now because um, I'm going to be delivering it to uh, Dr. Caitlin Jones, who was the mastermind behind getting that entire training course together. Obviously, there was like a team that worked on it, reviewed, supported, blah, blah, blah. But like it was Caitlin's baby and she did so, so, so much work. Um, so I, I love that you brought it up and I have it right here. Wait, hold on. This, this is the sound of the bubble wrap on the trophy. <laughs> Picking it up a little bit. Can you, can you describe the trophy to us? Ah, yeah. So it is a black acrylic. I'm, it's wrapped in bubble wrap. So I'm like, what? What's under here? What it looks like. <laughs> um, so it's a black acrylic trophy with a Calibri font in the game accessibility conference yellow. Um, that is the, oh, there's two of them actually. So one is for biggest accessibility surprise uh, for the, that. And what was the other one? Hold on. I'm what? like, I wish, I wish you could see. It's like me holding up the bubble wrap to the light to try to see if I can like see through <laughs> it. Um, and the other was for best resource. Uh, so just won these awards last January and yeah, I'm delivering, delivering the trophies. Now is this content for users? Uh, it's for game developers. Basically, oh, okay. I wasn't sure if it was consumer facing or industry. So it's industry facing this, uh, this content, this, uh, this, this course content. Yeah. Yes, so it, it's aimed at game developers, but on I obviously I'm uh, a little partial, but I think anyone who is a gamer would find it fascinating. The goal was a lot of um, accessibility courses that are available for other areas of tech don't always directly translate well to video games. And also the few certifications that are out there could uh, be cost prohibitive potentially for someone just getting in. And there wasn't a ton of just like free ways to have a training course. And so really the goal of putting this together was to have a way that someone could say, yes, I've completed this course. And they would be able to say like, yeah, I know the fundamentals of gaming accessibility because I, I have completed this course. And again, it's completely free. So any game dev who's looking to learn about accessibility and doesn't know where to get started, they can start with this course and it's an amazing primer. And it really just gets you pumped up to learn more. Like 
I know Caitlin's not here and I don't know if Caitlin will listen to this, but like Caitlin did a fantastic job and I'm so proud of her and all of the work that she did. <laughs> Is she going to be mad that you, uh, you, you defaced her bubble wrap though? Oh, <laughs> you know what? Well, just don't, she won't know. Just don't tell her. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll edit that part out. Okay, just no. in case, because you never know she might be listening. That's true. Well, if, if Caitlin does listen, Caitlin, I'm very sorry. I did it to create great content. Here for the show. So I, I, have a, I have a question, and this probably leads into um, what I was thinking about is so, again, as, as, as Rob mentioned so eloquently, I am not a gamer. Um, and um, so what kind of learning curve for somebody who might want to get into gaming but didn't realize that there was accessibility. So how, how would somebody go about actually learning about um, how to use all of these different interfaces based on the, the user's spe specific needs? This is actually like a huge challenge in the gaming space right now. So unfortunately, the learning curve can be pretty steep and it's it's not intentional. So one of the things that we're doing right now is like when we release a game, we put out a web page that has all of the accessibility information about the game, the options that are available, things that are baked in so that people have a better understanding of what's there. But one of the problems is you would only know if that is something that will help you if you've already been gaming. Uh, if you don't know what any of it means, then it, it's not really useful. So this is a struggle we have outside of accessibility, just the approachability of games as a whole uh, can be quite daunting. And so not only is it really hard to, if you didn't grow up with video games, kind of get into gaming later in life, if you have accessibility needs on top of it, it becomes even more complex. And it's definitely something we need to solve. I wish I could say like, oh, it's super easy, go here and read this, but um, it's not yet. It's It's something we need to, need to improve, unfortunately. And, and you know, I think that this is a, a problem that is certainly not unique to your particular vertical because as companies develop products and services and they make things accessible, so many times you'll run into situations and I've run into the situation where you get this new device and it's supposed to have all of these great accessibility features and then it's never plug and play. I have to get a sighted person to help me set it up and figure out how to work it. Um, so it's always, there's always that extra layer of like, how do we get it so that it becomes um, a little more universal from like, from, you know, that that initial introduction. So I, and I, I don't think anyone has an answer for that yet. So, but it's definitely something that is sort of just becoming very ubiquitous. And that's definitely something that like, we know that we have struggled with with the Xbox in the past. Like if you got a brand new Xbox and you wanted to set it up, you did need sighted assistance. It wasn't until this latest console generation that we added. Um, it's not Braille, but um, tactile indicators for each of the various ports on the Xbox. So if you are setting it up, you can pull up the information uh, on your phone to be able to have it read out what the different ports are and then you know feel the indicators to be like oh a i don't know which is which but like two dot is your ethernet cable and three dot is your you know hdmi cable or something like that but those are improvements we really only started making in this last 
console generation. I don't know if this is necessarily a question, but this is just something that I find really sort of interesting about um, accessibility, especially in video games, is that it's one of these things that really benefits everybody it, regardless of, of, uh, of their situation. So, you know, able-bodied players certainly benefit from a lot of these um, accessibility features as well, because what it really does is it really makes you be able to customize the way that you want to play the game in a way that um, gaming just never worked before. So a uh, fun fact, so a few years ago, the Game Awards introduced a new category called Innovation in Accessibility. And the winner of that award every year has also been the game that won the most awards overall at that year's show. And I think what you see is that the studios who are investing in accessibility are seeing those returns in pretty much every area of their game because you're making much more intentional design decisions around everything that just creates a better product all up. Yeah, that's right. I mean, for because for a lot of games, you know, it, if if it was just too hard for you to get through a, a, a particular section, say, well, that was it. You were just screwed. You just, you, you know, you had to get your buddy from down the street to come do it for you or, or whatever. But now, like, they're, it's all it's all configurable. So, you know, it, it, it really, what it really does right across the board, I feel like, is make this much more of a customizable experience for any player. And that's, you know, yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's going to become more popular um, as a game w when you do that. So if you don't mind me talking like a, a game designer for a few minutes, like Love it. what is what is happening is that when you're making a game, you're trying to introduce a challenge that the player has to overcome. And then after they complete that challenge, there is a reward they get afterward. You know, that thing that gives you that dopamine high that says, yes, I did it. And what accessibility helps do is make that challenge more uh, appropriately related to that award reward that you get. So for you know, some players with disabilities, whatever challenge they had to overcome was like not worth the reward they got afterward because it was way more difficult due to these unintended barriers. So by being able to adjust the challenge, you get the reward that feels right, that makes you feel like you did it. You know, it's not too little, like, wow, I went through all of that for what? Right. So it's uh, it's really fun to think about in terms of designing and making sure that like your core loop of challenge to reward is what keeps the player hooked and that you're, you know, giving them enough that they feel rewarded and they want to do more, but not giving them too little. So they think, what the hell is this? I don't want to play anymore. So are certain genres of games more um, conducive to accessibility than others so you know just for an example like say you know something like a, a first person shooter um is that a little bit harder to make accessible than say something that's like maybe turn-based like a, some sort of a strategy game so i would say that certain types of games certain genres are more accessible to certain groups of people. But I wouldn't really say that there's any genre as a whole that is easier to make more or less accessible for everyone, but they're definitely like, it's easier to make some games accessible to some groups of people than other ones. So, so is that ever a challenge though too? Um, 
in the sense of, you know, trying to make it accessible for the most people, because, you know, that's the thing with disability is that you have you have, you know, wildly different um, groups um, whose needs are all sort of different. That is definitely one of the ongoing challenges. So we'll have games that are like 80% of the way to an accessible experience for one group, but like, ooh, they're only 20% of the way on this other group. So figuring out, okay, well, we should prioritize and get this to be a fully playable experience for this group because we're so close and then start moving down the list. And it is a unique challenge for each game because the things that are easy to do per game are incredibly different. So, you know, we like the motor skills that you need for Forza Horizon 5 are grossly different than the motor skills you need to be able to play Pentiment. And so it it is a game of okay, what what is happening in this particular game that we're working on? What does it naturally lend itself to? Where are our massive gaps? And we have to go through that individually with each game because they're so different. So is there a rating system then for accessibility that the studios have on their websites? Or if someone was interested in getting into gaming, where would they even start? So there isn't a rating system, and I don't think there will ever be one, just because the needs of each individual is so different. What we do try to do is just put out the accessibility information that is in the title. So you know, you can go to the Pentiment website and at the bottom of it, it has, hey, here are the accessibility features that we have in game. Um, and, you know, there's also, here's just kind of how general gameplay works. Right. And we hope that that's enough to be able to get people started. We also have introduced in the Xbox store accessibility tags. So for example, if there is a particular feature that you know you need to have to be able to play, we have a set of those that you can filter by. So if you need a game that has subtitles because you're you're deaf, for example, you can search for games that have the subtitle tag and then it's been verified that this uh, the that the person who made the game is saying, yes, I have the subtitles right. that meet this criteria to try to to try to help out. Um, Again, it's still a little bit of a problem we're working on. Another thing that we've been doing, um, and not again, not just us at Xbox, but mm -hmm. you know, PlayStation, Ubisoft, all these other companies have started doing as well, is in our marketing campaigns, we're making sure that we're talking about accessibility and also making sure when we're working with content creators, influencers, you know, whatever you want to call them, that we're including disabled content creators so that they can talk about their experience as well so that they are able to um, lend their voice and you know basically fact check whatever we say so you don't have to hear it from just us but like you know actually hear from real disabled gamers on their experience with a game so we've we've talked a lot about the the software side of it is there anything going on sort of on the hardware side in terms of, of accessibility? How is that space looking? Well, I mentioned earlier that in the last round of consoles, we did start adding the tactile indicators on the back. And really with the adaptive controller, we have put out a couple of firmware updates, but the hardware space for us has been more of a watch and learn. And honestly, the thing that I'm really excited about is actually our competitor, PlayStation announced Project Leonardo, which is their 
uh, adaptable accessible controller and it looks completely different than the xbox adaptive controller so for us like the exciting thing is we're not going to be the only one with this kind of customized gaming hardware and at the level that we have you know because there are other controllers out there that i do want to acknowledge just you know obviously microsoft as a production company has more resources than some others so to see uh, Sony, you know, PlayStation stepping up and coming out with theirs, like that's going to be the next new hotness. Like I, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to get my hands on it. And I can't wait to see what we get to learn about their controller. Cause again, it's so different from ours. And so I want to be able to, to get my hands on it and learn from it to figure out like, how can we take the learnings that PlayStation has made for Project Leonardo to put it back into our work as well. We're, we're really lucky that as an industry, we're a um, a rising tides floats all boats kind of deal. Mm. Um, and we do try to share, you know, as much as uh, we can and learn from each other and apply back into um, the work that we're doing. So yeah, I got I got to get my hands on it. I want them to announce the official release date that they, they haven't yet. And it's driving me uh absolutely bonkers well you know and that's why i love you know the, the accessibility space advocacy space because you know there is none of this you know cutthroat competition aspect of it you know even even say you know screen readers on phones you know apple was the first out of the gate to create a smartphone that that uh, you know had a built-in screen reader but you know and it was only because of that that you know android followed suit and now you know you you can't you, every smartphone that you buy you're, you're going to have um, a screen reader on it, and that's in in a lot of ways, you know, thanks to these these tech companies and Microsoft. You know, you guys are the same. I mean, you guys were the first ones out of the gate with the idea of an adaptive controller, and that really pushed the needle forward. And and yeah, you're right. It is great that that now Sony is is following suit. Had you guys never done that, you know, it, it, this wouldn't be happening. And so I, I love that. I love knowing that. You know, everybody's sort of watching each other and sort of building on these ideas or in, in some cases, you may not even be building on the ideas. It's just great that there's something different. No, I'm I'm really lucky that the accessibility community and game dev like we're all friends. <laughs> I feel like you can just even from uh, this past week, there is a conference in San Francisco called the Game Developers Conference. And you can find pictures of just groups of accessibility folks from various companies all eating dinner together. And it's because we all support each other. We're all working towards the same mission, which is to make accessible games, to help make sure that disabled players are included in the conversation. And we get that mission done better together, right? Like if we fought, how does that help us get to the end goal of making sure as many people can play as possible. It doesn't. So like, yeah, we will, we will totally share as much as we can. Um, as long as our companies and legal teams do not yell at us. <laughs> okay. But who's got more accessible titles? Oh, come on, Ryan. <laughs> well, no, look, it's a really, really good question. And it's a, it's a really tight competitive space and we all do accessibility a little differently. So I would say that, for example, if you go look at the stuff coming out of Sony Santa Monica and Naughty Dog, like they are continually um, pushing the industry forward. But then you look at 
like Ubisoft is a publisher and they have a consistency of accessibility that is really unique overall as a publisher. And then when you look at Xbox, we have such different games and we have some titles who are also doing some really cool stuff, but we're, we're looking in different areas. So like, if you look at Forza Horizon 5, like, yeah, we introduced ASL and BSL in our cinematics. So if you use either of those sign languages, you can follow along with the story, but then you check out the stuff that was in, you know, the last of us part two and the part one remake, like they have some really cool blind accessibility that our titles don't have. So it is this like triple quadruple, <laughs> like three way tie. And like, we're all exceeding in different areas. So I think like the winner will be like the first one that can like kind of converge all of the accessibility learnings from like right. these different groups and get them together. Like yeah. I have no problem talking about like when another studio, when a non Microsoft studio has excelled because like they did the work, they deserve the recognition. Right. So like, yes, I will 100% be like, yes, studio, you absolutely killed it. <laughs> like I've been playing so much God of War Ragnarok. And just while I was at GDC, there were um, two different talks about the accessibility work that they put into their titles. And I got to learn and that's amazing. Like, so I, I will totally give them the recognition, like, because again, they put in the work and they did a great job. So like, yeah, I don't care that I work at Xbox. This PlayStation <laughs> game did amazing stuff. And now I want to go do similar amazing stuff. So each gamer that needs to have both consoles is what we're saying. 100%. Yep. I mean, I've got them both. Just do it. Just match. Just, you know, win the lottery and have enough money to buy every console out there. Nice. And then a crazy gaming PC that's up a bajillion dollars. Yeah. Because we all have the money for all of it, right? I'm of sure. Course. Don't look into it. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the Canucks to get in the playoffs. And then <laughs> you can have a riot and then. And you fire up your PS17. And... <laughs> I think the only other thing I, I have to add is that right now is a really, really exciting time for the video game industry and the work they're doing in accessibility. I mean, you guys have kind of hit on earlier. We're on this like exponential growth trajectory and we're further than we were even just two years ago. And mm -hmm so so far ahead where we were five years ago and drastically ahead of where we were 10 years ago and it i'm so proud of the industry overall and i just i know in the next few years we're going to have even more amazing innovations coming out of our studios and so it's it's just a fun time to be alive and to get to be able to see it happen you know well listen thanks for all your work uh over the years i'm, I'm glad that it's it's really paying off and and um yeah i'm excited as well yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me and letting me ramble on about video games. Well, no doubt. But before before we let you go, though, if people are interested in learning more about you or learning more about uh, accessibility or Microsoft or Xbox or anything else, um, I don't know, where can people go to uh, to check you out? So you can learn more about me, which is basically um, I have pets and I love the video game Alan Wake uh, on Twitter. <laughs> so you can find me at Lady O'Pair, which is L-A-D-I-E-A-U-P-A-I-R. 
if you get that, where that reference is from, you're a very cool person. Um, and if you want to learn more about accessibility in general, um, I highly recommend the Game Accessibility Conference or GA Conf. So it happens twice a year, but it's completely free to attend online, paid in person, but free online. And all of the videos from the past conferences are available, so you can watch them all. And then for, you know, Microsoft and gaming accessibility, like we have tons of information about uh, all of our video games and just our, our general process uh, up online and you you can check them all out. But definitely, I highly recommend again, the award-winning game accessibility fundamentals course if you just wanna get a lay of the land. Well, I was, I was really hoping that that would be three hours and 50 minutes, but uh, <laughs> I hear that it's three hours and 49 minutes and so, no, I'm just kidding. Just won't make the cut then. It was that single minute. <laughs> it's that minute. We you clearly pad weren't it. just pad it out. Just you know, put if, some pauses. If we'd in been, that. if we'd been truly invested <laughs> in accessibility, we would have had that additional minute in there. You're right. <laughs> oh, blame the editors. <laughs> yeah. Funny. See, maybe we did pad, and then then they just sped us up. It's <laughs> true. I tell you. That truncated audio is so overrated. <laughs> uh, Tara, listen, we want to thank you. It has been an absolute delight uh, chatting with you. Please come on again because I feel like uh, we've only, you know, barely scratched the surface and talking about gaming and accessibility. And, um, you know, best of luck with, uh, with everything that you're working on. Awesome. And again, thank and you so much for rescheduling the last minute when I had to move it um, because of the, the vet stuff. As an update, dog is fine. Yay, no yay, issues. Yay. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I appreciate that because I was having a hectic day, as you could probably oh, God, put together. Yeah. So no being doubt. able to, it, it, it ended up being just like $300 for the vet to tell me my dog was fine. She just needed to poop, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I yeah. just, I had the same thing, but it cost me seven. Oh, oh God. Well, I got a discount then. I, I, I said, well, thank goodness she's fine because now I'm going to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, similar vibe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks Tara. Thanks, Tara. Thanks, Tara. Bye. 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 Okay, I gotta know, Rob. Did you know the that uh, lady au pair? Lady au pair. No, reference? I didn't. I know. Oh, so you are not cool after all, Rob. Clearly. I was about to say, I'm like, I was about to say, Wait, it's like, you? oh my god, does someone actually really think Rob's cool? Is, does he know no. this one? No, there's no, no, no threat of that. But wait, but what? So do you know what it's from? Oh hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, nope. well, someone's got to Google it. Steve, do the I'm, honors. I'm looking, but I don't even know how to spell it. A oh, question about radio <laughs> pair. Is not like L A V I Q Z X T V. No, it's au pair. Like, isn't that like au pair? Like the I don't know. Isn't that like a I don't foreign know, it was nanny a bit or something? Soup when she spelled it, I think it's like A U, and then pair like a pair of shoes. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've Googled it here, and, and it does seem to be a reference to a gaming character. Oh. Huh. Uh, Lady O'Pair. And her murderous moppets. Cool. She's got moppets. What's a, what's a moppet? Uh, it's like a small it's like a child kind of thing. Jim Henson creature. <laughs> The Muppet, the Muppet Muppets, <laughs> That's right. the Muppet Muppets. Man, I hate this. We're also getting to the as, 
Dr. Mrs. the Monarch or what? Sheila? What game is this from? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm looking back through here. Man, uh, I hate this. We're getting too old to All be right, cool. background. Here we go. As a young woman, Sheila attended State University and was a student from Professor Fantomas. She has a doctorate in an unnamed field and appears proficient in mechanics and general sciences, as evidenced by her having built the monarch's first pair of functional wings, his ill-conceived sunshine gun, and several tracking devices used for her own purposes. Sheila later became the supervillain known as Lady Opair before serving as the second-in-command to many different supervillains over the years under several names. She soon went on to work for Phantom Limb under the name Queen Eth Etheria. Hmm. All right. So here's the here's the important part. Uh, uh, yeah. hmm. First appearance in the terrible secret of Turtle Bay, voiced by Jackson Public. I wow! I don't know this game. Uh, from the Venture Brothers. Hmm. Nope. There you go. Well, we're we're no less we're no more informed yeah. than we were before. <laughs> still don't know. Yep. Okay, great. Still not cool. Man. Still not cool. We are like we're in the basement of cool. Like this is not even we're not even in the neighborhood. Yeah. Nope. Still wrong. I think that is industry specific knowledge. <sighs> Maybe. Yep. Um, but very cool. Uh, we learned a lot today about yes, accessibility i really had no idea that um there was uh, there was so much activity going on there but it sounds like uh we're, yeah, we're right in there yeah because i do remember on this very podcast i remember specifically i don't remember the game unfortunately but i remember talking about it was like the first game that had an accessibility like option in the in the game menu itself and there was only like two or three things that you could do but it was like the first one um, and that was not long ago. That was like maybe five, six years ago. So we've come from that to, you know, this being a pretty thriving industry within the, the gaming industry. So that's pretty cool. Well, it wasn't that long ago either that we had Melissa on from Descriptive Video Works and they were seeing more and more studios asking for descriptive audio in their games yeah. as well, right? Yeah, that, that's that true. Was in, that was only the last five years. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point too. We didn't even touch on that, but yeah. 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 So I think it'd be really cool for... You know myself because it's something I've, I've been thinking about doing but i just have never pulled the trigger to even like sit down with you or steve and look at some of these games because it mm -hmm. sounds to me that they're some of them are so cinematic right that you're yeah. it's like you're watching a movie you're experiencing a, a theater production with yeah. audio description and you know they like she said captioning and Yep. You know, like how immersive is this actually? It'd be really interesting because I haven't experienced any of that. Well, and not only that, Ryan, but like, you know, all these controllers are all, they all have haptics in it, right? Mm -hmm. So they all buzz and vibrate and stuff like that. So I'm sure that you could, you know, a game developer or something could really work that into and make some, some sort of a, a gaming experience for somebody who's non-visual. Last gaming I did was Guitar Hero on our Nintendo Wii. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, it counts. Yeah, it would be interesting. Interesting hmm. experience. You have a Wii? Used to. We gave it away years ago. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. It was fun. Yeah, Guitar Hero is fun. I miss mm -hmm. those games. Yep. It's nothing I think like... the last time I played a game was Game Boy. That's how, <laughs> that's how long it's been for me. Well, listen, that counts. That counts. Yeah, it counts. You're a gamer. You've got a Game Boy. That's super nerdy. 
played Civ Six last night. Oh yeah, it's a good game. What? I played a bit of that. Civilization Six. Oh, so I could challenge you online to that one. Yeah. Oh. Yep. oh. Wait, what were you? You have a PlayStation Four, right? No, I don't. I have no gaming console. Oh. Oh, you're playing it online. Uh, sorry, yeah, sorry, a on the P computer. PC game. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. There you go. We'll do that too. We get beat by Terra and then come get beat by you. There you go. That's something we didn't talk about either. Is you know we've talked about the accessibility of consoles. But are these games, do they have the same accessibility if you're using a PC? Oh, damn it. I forgot to ask that. Uh, bring her back. Yeah. <laughs> Get her back yeah. on the line. Yeah. So I was playing with ChatGPT today. And I asked ChatGPT to write me a country song. Mm -hmm. And it did. And so I've got verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, and outros. You know, typical song layout. Yeah. So if I put music to that song... Do I have the copyright on that song, even though I didn't write the lyrics? Who owns the rights to that song? That's a great question. I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. Uh, there, there's probably a whole area of jurisprudence that, that has not been thought out yeah. with respect to this technology. Yeah, that's why we but, want to try and get somebody on who can talk about AI. But you know, we just we want somebody who knows AI, right? I'll get somebody from ChatGPT. I mean, legal. Yeah, well, maybe so get a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. Like, why not go to the, the, the root? Never even thought the, of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I mean, work you for you. Just, you could probably just ask <laughs> G, chat go GPT go whether it's legal. Well, yeah. Just ask him. He wrote it. Yeah, that's like, a good hey, point. Yeah, ask, ask I, the chat GPT bot. Say, hey, can I, you know, if, hey, I put this, if I put this to music, who, who owns the copyright on it? Is this a collaboration between hey, Rob, why don't you ask me? Google? Yeah. Because <laughs> Google's not as smart as chat GPT. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like saying. Plus, he Google. can't say "Okay, Google" in a row. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Well, it's funny though because I was saying to these guys earlier, I asked Chat, G Chat GPT to write me a song called Gr Gr uh, "Grudge Whore" oh, yeah. uh, from the show last week, and it said, yeah. "Nope, can't do it." Um, yeah. Derogatory yeah. terms and stuff in there, right? So it has yeah, some well, ethics. You just, well, <laughs> you just gotta wait for the the version that the evil version. Yes. Yes, Which I'm sure, I'm sure it is exists. coming. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. But the dark web, <laughs> the dark web version. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Someone will build it. Yeah. Uh, Chat GPT dark. I will write you grudge horror. <laughs> <laughs> and you will like it. <laughs> yeah. And I will drain your bank account. And then you will free me. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. Uh, hey, Liz, where the heck can people find us? They can find us at atbanter.com. Hey, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at a cowbell. Shout out Svetlana. <laughs> atbanter.com. That's right. Yeah, so Svetlana sent us a lovely email. Uh, yeah, it's a lovely email. Really nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, so there you go, people. You want faith, you want your name listener. mentioned with the cowbell strike? Send us an email. Even we'll if it. you think we're not funny, send us an email. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've already gotten enough email on that one. Okay, thank you. Well, now you can tell them it rhymes with fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, hey, where else can people find us? Honestly, I don't know anymore. Uh, no, it's I, just I, Instagram. It's, it's just we just lost the password. Uh, okay, so so Facebook, Twitter, Truth Social, uh, <laughs> Mastodon. 
Mastodon, yeah, I don't know. Grinder, uh, I don't know. Grinder. <laughs> We're everywhere. Uh, maybe I don't know. Swipe right. <laughs> yeah. Wait, we need is, that, is that the good one? Swipe right. I think so. That's the good one. Okay, Steve, talk to your app developer. We need an app. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> the AT Badger app. Yeah. Where we can just swipe right. That That's do. all you can do. Just swipe right. <laughs> right. No, func- no other functionality. No other function. Just, just swipe right. Just endless, endless pictures of Ryan eating pancakes. Just swiping right. Uh, that'd be awesome. Perfect. Let's, we'll get we'll get right to work. On. We'll get Tara to make it accessible. Uh, all right, that is going to about do it for us this week. Big thanks, of course, to Tara for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.